0: Grace and mercy and peace to you this morning from God our Father and from Jesus our Savior too. Where is God? It's a question that has a bunch of different varieties. There's the variety of the skeptic who defiantly says, where is God? I don't believe he exists. Then there's the question asked by the believer who's in the middle of doubt and pain who says, where is, where is God? I, I don't see him. But what I see that combines all those different kinds of answers to get those questions is this. Nobody ever asks that question when everything is going well in life. Nobody ever says, where is God on a day that's sunny outside, when everything is going well in life. It's the kind of question that people ask when everything is bad. It's the kind of question people ask when there is death, when there is pain, when there is suffering, when everything is the opposite of what you would have expected or hoped it would be. Where Where is God? And there's an assumption behind that, right? The assumption is that, if everything is going well in my life, then God must be there. But if things are not good, God can't possibly be there in the middle of my suffering, can he? Where is, where is God? But today, God comes to us in his word in a number of different readings and says that he is there with us in the middle of all those sufferings. And one of those readings is a story about Jacob, the time he saw the stairway up to heaven and God there. So let's spend some time this morning looking at that reading from God's Word and talking about how that fits with, with us. So if you're not there already, turn back to page 7. I'll put some of the key verses back up on the screen. The intro verses were jumping right in the middle of his life. So he's leaving home, he's going far away, and he stops for the night and he's got a rock under his head. But you've got to know the backstory to appreciate what he was facing that night. My guess is he would have listed this up toward the top of the worst days in his life. So going backwards, His grandfather was a man named Abraham. God chose Abraham and said, come move to this new land and I'm gonna make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And through you, everyone in the whole world will be blessed, a a promise about Jesus our Savior. So here's a map. Abraham moved from what's Iraq today over to the land of what we call Israel. And he settled there, but he never owned the land. He had a son named Isaac. Isaac got married to a woman named Rebekah who came from Haran, which is way up north in what would be Syria or northern Iraq today. And Isaac and Rebekah had two sons, Jacob and Esau were twins. God promised that Jacob was the one who was going to have the promises. But here's where a lot of family conflict started brewing because Isaac and Rebekah played favorites. Isaac loved Esau more. Rebekah loved Jacob more. And so when it came time to bless his sons, Isaac said, I'm going to bless Esau rather than, than Jacob. And the way that Jacob and his mother tried to work around that was they tricked Isaac. Isaac couldn't see, and so they dressed Jacob up like he were Esau, and Isaac ended up blessing Jacob thinking that he was actually his, his brother. And you can guess how toxic the whole family relationship became. Esau actually started saying he was going to kill Jacob as soon as Isaac died. Whether or not Isaac knew that, I don't know, but Jacob knew it. Rebekah did. And so, they said he was leaving to go find a wife and get married, but the other reason was Jacob was leaving home because his brother was going to kill him. And so Jacob sets out to go far away, walking there. Looking back later, he said, all I had was a stick in my hand and the clothes on my back. And if you think he's like a teenager in his 20s, this young guy setting out in the world, if you work back on his timeline from later in life, he would have been in his mid-70s by the time he left home here. Bethel, where he stopped for the night, is about 50 or 70 miles away. So I'd always thought he would like walk for a day, but he's probably been walking by himself for a couple of days thinking about all of this. He's got next to nothing. He's not sure where the future is going to take him. People talk about a place like that being God forsaken in the middle of nowhere with no hope. And that's where Jacob finally stopped for the night and that was where those intro verses pick up. He stops for the night just as far as he could get that day and he, he finds a rock and puts it under his head for a pillow. But then, he had a dream where God appeared from heaven and there was either a ladder or a staircase, we don't know, but there are angels going up and down on it. This is the way one art, artist pictured it, with Jacob at the bottom, rock under his head, and there are the angels of God, with God himself in glory at the top. But most amazing of all, it wasn't what Jacob saw, it was what he heard. God said this, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What a wonderful group of passages, isn't it? Promises from God. Even though Jacob doesn't own any land, God promises him he'll have the land, the same promise he gave to Abraham. You'll have so many descendants, they'll spread out all over, even though Jacob isn't married and doesn't have any kids. He seems like he's all alone, but God says, I am with you. God says, you're not going to come back. I, I will be with you all the way until you're back and until every promise I've made has been fulfilled. And greatest of all, God promised to Jacob, everyone in the whole world will be blessed through you. The promise of Jesus, our Savior. In fact, Jesus later on in his ministry, looking back, says that he is like that ladder that connects earth to heaven. He's the one on whom the angels of God ascend and descend. Jesus is the fulfillment of the greatest promises that God gave to Jacob. And then, there's this comment about when Jacob woke up. It changed his whole perspective about God and about himself and his troubles. And this is one, I just chuckle every time I read this passage. Jacob woke up from his sleep, and this was his first thought. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. (laughs) Jacob says, I I was not expecting this. Of all the things I expected tonight, it wasn't that this is the place where I would meet God. Really? Here? In the middle of nowhere, in the middle of all my troubles, that's where I would meet God? God was actually right with me, and I was totally unaware of it. His next thought was this. He was afraid. And when the Old Testament uses that word, it's not so much the total terror. It's, it's standing in the presence of God himself. And as sinful people all of a sudden are there with God, they have this overwhelming awe and, and fear of being in front of him. And so Jacob feels that. And as, as that feeling overwhelms him, he says, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, I've heard that passage applied to churches. I think we used that, didn't we, last fall when we dedicated this church? That as you come into the doors to worship here today, I hope you plan to meet God in his word coming to you. That you can say, this is the house of God, this is a gate, a gate to heaven. But that's not at all the context when Jacob said those words. It wasn't like he had just walked into church or walked into any place where people would have expected to meet God. Jacob was in the middle of one of the worst days of his life, in the middle of a night when he thought it was just him in the middle of nowhere. And Jacob looks at that place and says, This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And that's not just Jacob in this account. If you'd read through the whole Bible, you'll see this as a theme throughout. God often is found in places where it's the last place you would have expected to see him. Some people actually say you can call God the hidden God because it often seems like God is hiding. God's wisdom is often hidden in a message that seems just stupid and foolish. Who wants to listen to that? But God's wisdom is there. God's power is often hidden in weakness. God's glory is often in the things that are very ordinary. God's God's goodness is often even hidden in suffering and a cross. And the place you see that the best of all is in Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's a day that's coming again that we're getting ready for that we call Good Friday. But a lot of people would say, why in the world do you call that good? Good. Because what happened on Good Friday is a man was crucified. It was horrible. It sure seemed stupid that God would let his son die in that way. It sure seemed weak and powerless. It was really, really shameful. But there on the cross was God's wisdom. And God's strength and his love and God's glory. As God took the worst thing you could ever imagine and used it to save the world. Take away your sins and my sins, and give us eternal life. But that always seems backward to us. That's what we heard Peter say today in the Gospel. So when Jesus said, I'm gonna suffer and die, Peter's first reaction is, no way, that'll never happen to you. He actually started to rebuke Jesus for thinking that. But then Jesus turned around to Peter and said, no, actually, you're the one who's thinking the thoughts of Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God if all you can see is outward glory and success as the way that God works. The term that's used for that in general is called the theology of the cross. And I think you'll find that in other churches too, but the Lutheran church has held on to that truth in a way that I don't know that everyone else has. Here's an example. So this is Martin Luther writing a series of theses, he was reacting against a lot of people who expect that if you want to find God, you should look where things are glorious, where things are successful. Even today, it's easy to think that if a church is big, God must be there. If a church is small, God must not. If I, if I feel great after worship, God must be there. If I don't feel it, God must not. If, God, if I see everything good in my life, God must be there. If I'm suffering, God must not be there. But here's a thesis that Luther wrote, he said, He deserves to be called a theologian, however, who comprehends the visible and manifest things of God seen through suffering and the cross. In other words, if you want to be a theologian, a word that means someone who really truly knows God, then you need to learn how to see God in the middle of of suffering. Otherwise, you're going to be blind to many of the things that God does in this world. Here's another quote, this time from someone who lived just a generation ago. So, Daniel Deutlander wrote a book called The Theology of the Cross. If you want to dig into this more, if this is a new thought for you, this is a book you could jump into and go pretty deep in it. Here's something that he wrote Those who rejoice without the cross and those who suffer without joy understand neither true joy nor the value of the cross that God has sent. In other words, there are some people who think they've experienced joy, but the only kind of joy they know is when everything is going their way in life. There are other people who have experienced suffering, but they think that whenever suffering comes, that's a reason to be down and to be in despair and not to rejoice. His comment is that for a Christian, actually, to understand true joy as God gives it, to understand the value of the cross that God puts in our life, is to realize how actually those two can go together that joy and the cross are not opposites. They can actually be one and the same. Uh, one more example. When I was studying to be a pastor, this is something that's often said to people who are studying to be Lutheran pastors. It's This is the recipe, the three ingredients it takes to be a good Lutheran pastor. It's Latin, but maybe you can guess what some of the words mean. Meditatio means meditation. Not like you're clearing your mind to nothing, but meditation on the word of God. If the word of God fills a person's life, that is the first ingredient. Second one, oratio is a word for prayer. That in response to the word of God, if you live and breathe your faith and your relationship with God, if you're constantly speaking to him in life, that's the second ingredient. Third one, tentatio, that's what we're talking about this morning. That's the word for suffering and pain. Not just outwardly, but when your soul is wrestling with your own sin and guilt, with your own sinful nature. That's tentatio, and Lutherans have said, those are the three things it takes for someone really to mature into being a pastor. And I share that with you because I don't think that's just true of pastors, that's true of you too as God's people. How is it that God matures us in his faith if your life is full of the word of God, if your life is full of prayer as you live in a relationship with him, And if God knows how to put into your life the perfect mix of joy and sorrow, uh, blessings throughout, but even blessings under the cross, that's often how God works in our lives. Now, I know that a lot of that's getting kind of deep. If this is a brand new thought for you, I think this is worth something thinking about for yourself. Are you able to see how God is there in the middle of grief and suffering? But let me go back now to Jacob and try to bring it back to us today with, here's some applications for us. Jacob all of a sudden realized God is here, even though I was not aware of him being with me on this horrible day in my life. And that totally changed the way that Jacob looked at God and how he looked at his life too. And I'm praying it does the same thing for you this morning. It'll change the way you see God because you'll see that he loves you even in the middle of what can be very difficult and painful. Otherwise, as a pastor, I see people where as soon as they they have something in life that comes up that's really hard or it's their own guilt of their sins or they struggle and wrestle with things in life, there are some people who say, therefore God must not love me, he must not be here, and people will get really angry and they'll yell at God and curse God in their prayers. They'll say, God, why don't you love me? Why aren't you here? When that's not at all the reality. Is God only there on the good days? No, God is actually there in the middle of our troubles and sorrows, whether or not you can feel his presence or, or see him there. And, and if you realize that's true, then you go back to what Jacob heard and what was the message that God had for him on that night? It was, it was 100% pure gospel and grace. Jacob, I am with you through this. Jacob, every one of my promises is going to be fulfilled. Jacob, I'm going to bring you back. Jacob, I'm going to give you the land. I'll give you a family. And most of all, I will be the one who gives you a savior. That if you can see God in the middle of your sufferings, what you're going to find is you'll see that even there you'll find God's God's love. And that'll transform then the cross that Jesus asked you to bear. You see, this is what you heard from Jesus in the words of the gospel today. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. Not optional, not one out of every two or nine out of every ten. It's anyone who, who says, I am a follower of Jesus, should expect that there is going to be a cross in life. And the way Jesus defines it, it's not just things that go wrong outside of us. At its heart, it's a denying of our own selves, our own sinful nature must deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow me, is what Jesus says. And if you see suffering as a horribly bad thing where God is not, then it's easy to say, well, I just want to get rid of any pain and suffering as quickly as possible. We get sick and we say, what'll it take for me to get better tomorrow? Emotionally, spiritually, if you feel pain, we say, I just want to feel better. That is the greatest goal. And I'm not saying that we should be saying, let's try to see how bad we can feel. Let's try to accumulate as much grief and sorrow. No, you don't have to go looking for it. Life is going to provide enough enough troubles without you seeking it out. God knows how to give us our crosses. But if God can use our crosses for our good, if he's there in the middle of it, then our first reaction doesn't need to be to try to get away from it as quickly as possible. It's instead to endure and keep going and bear up under that cross, knowing that God will use it to bless us. You look at Jacob, and when he woke up the next morning, he still had the rock under his head. He was still in the middle of nowhere. He still had a long journey to go where he didn't know what was going to happen. Later on, looking back in life, when he was an old man, he said, my days have been really short and really hard. And that was true. This night did not mean that God took away all the sufferings in the life of Jacob, but was God with him just as he has promised? Did God keep every promise he made to him that night? Yes, he did. And so as you look at your own life, I don't know where it is you've stood, or maybe where you are even today, thinking that God can't possibly be with you now. Things are too dark. The grief is too intense. The future is, is too uncertain. I hope that as you hear the words of God, you'll have a moment like Jacob where you wake up and say, I was not aware of it, but God's here too. And if there, even in the middle of your sufferings, even in the middle of cross, that God is there, then like Jacob, you could say the next thing too, to stand in awe of God and say, how awesome is this place. Here in my life, this is where God's house is, I know that I have this connection to heaven and that you'd be able to face the cross even with joy. Amen. Let's now rise and confess our faith together in this God who